0: Welcome to the Melanation Healing Project podcast in collaboration with Toledo Moms for Social Justice. I am Daishel Parker, your moderator for episode seven titled, How Can Integration, Diversity, and Inclusion Lead to Healing? I am so honored to introduce our host today, starting with Alicia Sutton, co-founder of Black Radical Scholars and African-centered social worker, who is also a co-founder and member of Toledo Moms for Social Justice. Thank you so much for joining us, Alicia. Oh, thank you for having me this morning. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for filling in um, for Erin as well, who is on vacation. So we would definitely miss her today. Mm-hmm. Also have Tejia, published author and founder of Melanation Healing Project. Thank you for being here, Tej. I am so happy to be here as usual. And we have the honor to introduce our special guest, Diana Patton, who is an inspirational speaker, a social justice advocate, author, attorney, consultant, and founder and CEO of the RISE program and the Pivot and RISE mastermind for professional women. She helps people push past trauma and adversities to rise above their circumstances, accept challenges. And thrive and be resilient by sharing practical tips and inspiration to help others live their very best lives. Thank you so much for being here, Miss Diana. Hey, so excited! I'm I'm really excited. I love everything that you all are about and what you're doing. So awesome! So, Diana, I want to start with um, asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fell into the work of racial healing and reconciliation.
1: Well, for me. It all starts with myself. It started, you know, with me really getting to know who Diana is at the core of who I was in the corporate world. I had the opportunity just so by way of background, you know, I went to the University of Toledo and I ran track there and I had the beautiful opportunity to just, you know, learn a lot about myself right when I got to college and before college, I went, I was raised in Fostoria, Ohio. And, you know, I grew up with a very challenging childhood. You know, I had a a white father and a black mom and um, was raised with my father was abusive. And so I was raised with that first 17 years of life. They call those things adverse childhood experiences. I don't know if you all are familiar Mm -hmm. with ACE, but that's something I grew up in constant Constant issues. Um, Not to get too deep into my story, but if folks want to really read and dig into that, they can pick up my book, Inspiration in My Shoes. And um, just by way of background, you know, the shoes that I talk about in my book were the notes my mom used to put in my track shoes when I was growing up that would help inspire me to keep going, you know, and being the sixth child of seven in that family was really, really challenging. But, you know, like I said, I made my way to college and um, like I said, ran track, I walked on to the track team and, and I said, that's when I started learning a little bit more about myself and the trauma that I was really born into. And um, my goal was to get away from Pastoria, you know, the college experience. And then it all came crashing home for me when I was in law school and I got a call that my brother tried to kill my mom. Oh. And that's when I, all of the trauma and all of the tragedy that I kind of grew up with. And, um, and that was when I started reconciling myself, you know, really kind of looking back and seeing there's a lot in my past that I have really ignored. Right. Mm-hmm. I went home, started taking care of my brother. My brother then came to Toledo where I was at. And at the time, I had just started law school. And, um, you know, and so that was when I started, you know, people really don't pay attention, I don't think, really to their lives and see how the patterns of their lives affect them later. And once I started kind of seeing some patterns of my brother, I started seeing the patterns of myself of someone who's come from a lot of trauma and not really dealt with that. And sadly, I hate to say this, you know, um, you know, as I was trying to rehabilitate my brother with my then-boyfriend at the time, doing counseling and doing all of that, sadly, he then mm. took his own life. Mm. He took his life in 1994. So the listeners need to understand, there's, people don't arrive at a certain place until you understand the backstory, right? Because we all have that story, something that has driven us to a certain place. And so I want your listeners to know just a really quick snapshot of my background and not to you know, go into too much detail, but there's a lot of layers of trauma and, and um, issues that I had to deal with growing up. Yeah. And so when my brother took his life in 1994, that was my first indication, perhaps I might need some counseling. Right. Yeah. So I went I went and, um, sought out a counselor and at the time I just wanted a. I wanted a diagnosis. I wanted him to just tell me I had something wrong with me and and I could move on. And um and she was then starting to tell me a little bit about trauma and how I needed to deal with that. Of course, I ignored it. And I went back to law school <laughs> and I went and did my work and I was doing law school and then, of course, graduated. Got married, had kids, and then it all started crashing down. And seeing that I needed to get some more counseling, right? Wow. Um, but I started entering the corporate world, and and as I entered into the corporate world and doing my work as an attorney and in different law firms and different agencies that I started working at, my first introduction to diversity and inclusion when I was working in the corporate world at Dana Corporation. Um, uh, and that was when I started getting training as a diversity and inclusion person, and that's when I started to realize that there's more work that needs to be done behind the scenes for people. There's more healing and more introspection and more understanding of yourself Mm -hmm. to know that you need and that we need change, that we need to be able to Um, come to a place of reconciliation and you know where it starts like I said with with your story Mm
0: -hmm. it starts with
1: understanding who you are and what makes you who you are and so many people ignore that so you know This could be like a whole hour and a half podcast, but I'm just gonna (laughs) stop right there and let you know that's how I came to this, right? This was not just I woke up and said, okay, I wanna do diversity, inclusion, and equity. No, honey, there was a whole background there. And that's how I started to find my way to know, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of my understanding of my life's purpose. Yes. And it's not just diversity inclusion. It's not just, it is healing. Yes. It is. And because and, I'm still going through another layer of that um, healing. And we can talk about that. But <laughs> I, that's, that is where it all must begin. And At you know what? The core of who you are. Yes, ma'am. You know what Diana first of mm. all
2: you you started off on a 10 I wasn't expecting <laughs> mm. yes. I wasn't expecting for for us to dive in on such on a such a deep and powerful level so I appreciate everything you just said oh, for absolutely. the simple mm-hmm. for the simple fact Um, That's what the Melanation Healing Project is all about. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why we we have four different phases of healing. And the first Mm -hmm. phase starting, it starts with healing yourself, because Mm -hmm. how can you see the issues that's going on on a community level, and on a national or global level, if you Mm -hmm. if you don't recognize the issues within. So it's And so you basically <laughs> just spoke about what we do at, for the Melanation Healing Project, you know? It's like, you mm-hmm. got to learn how to show up and heal uh, yourself. within yourself. Yes. So we, we yes. work to give people, and that, that's not to say that we've arrived. Mm. And so in the beginning, it's like, I know, listen, I'm on a journey of healing and I'm, we are creating spaces for other people to take that journey with us. And then not only that, we created this platform because it's like, we want we want to show up better. We want to show up better in this world. And it's going to take, first of all, healing self and then stepping out into this world and
1: healing on a community level. Come on. Okay. First of all, can I just say, I found my people. Y'all are speaking my language. Okay, so should we, oh my gosh, this is just so beautiful and I'm so excited to be here, you know? And so I'm glad that we start, because I was going to start the corporate, I said, no, no, no. And we got to go to the story. Mm -hmm. We got to get to the basis of Diana and understand. And there's more layers to that, right? There's more layers to that, but that's, you know, there's just so much about my past that um, has shown up and everybody, everybody's past is going to show up. Mm -hmm. And unless you are working on thyself, your past is gonna show up and you're going to be repeating generational curses Mm -hmm. and doing things. You gotta break those chains and it is hard work. It is hard work because when you show up on your job Mm -hmm. and you start to implement perhaps a policy or a procedure or whatever. You know, you aren't going to be able to see that way through if you haven't done your own homework to understand how yourself, right, is not getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Your trauma is not getting in the way. It can Mm -hmm, help you. mm -hmm. Your adversities can help you unless you know how you are not being controlled by it, yes. right? So yes. It can't be mastered by that trauma. It can mm-hmm. aid you, but you have to know how to put it on a level of assistance to help you be the change agent in your company, mm-hmm. in your community, in your school, and all of the above. So we have to make certain that we're taking care of ourselves first. Then we can go out and do the work for yes. others. Absolutely. Yes, yes.
0: I want to start off by talking about something simple, but yet meaningful. Mm. So hair, okay? Now, historically, Black people have always been taught to assimilate whatever way necessary to get ahead, right? Um, And -hmm. one of the ways we do that is by taming our hair, by relaxing, uh, wearing wigs, you know, even cutting our hair. However, um, in recent years, we have seen the trend, the beautiful trend of Black women wanting to wear their natural hair. And we're getting penalized for it. Uh, Black women are less likely to get a job for this and children are getting suspended um, and kicked out of school for wearing braids and locks or or simply just wanting it to flow naturally. Uh, Why do you think there is this emphasis on and criticism of black hair and how is it connected to racism? This is a
1: historical issue. Okay, first of all, this is such an amazing question to ask me specifically, because this has been my whole big mantra for so long is letting me wear my hair natural. So to answer your question, why do you think this is the emphasis on criticism of black hair? The criticism of black hair extends back to the beginning of time of us coming to America, Mm -hmm. right? Back in slavery, we really, there's been such an, um, an idea that we as black women have to assimilate and black people have to assimilate in order to be able to be accepted. Mm-hmm. We were trying to be white. Right. I mean, we were trying to get our hair to, to look white so that we could be accepted. And, you know, uh, for myself, you know, this has been, you know, an issue that I have fought and I decided back in 1994 that I'm going natural, you know, and it started with me going natural when I was in New York City and I was at this school, and I saw all these beautiful black women wearing their hair natural. And and I was like, oh, I've, and here's my bias, my stereotype. Oh, they must just be people who, you know, do herbs. You know, they don't have <laughs> corporate jobs <laughs> because if they did, then they, you know, probably weren't in higher levels of positions. And that was my bias, mm-hmm. right? Mm -hmm. but this criticism of black hair extends all the way back to yourself and how you see yourself is it beautiful do you see it as beautiful because it has been criticized for such a long time that that is not how we accept people as professionals as individuals who have you know knowledge and the intelligence Mm -hmm. so when you think about Black natural hair, that has been something that has been put down for so long. And it wasn't to, you you didn't see it in mainstream. You know, you heard Nina Simone singing about her hair and Blackness and and that was in the 70s and 60s. And then in the 70s and 60s, you had people like Black Panthers who were going out wearing their hair natural as Uh, a form of defiance. mm -hmm. But there was never anyone saying that this is beautiful, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you had Cicely Tyson wearing her hair natural and braided. People were wondering, what's wrong with Cicely? You know who was getting mad at her? Guess who was getting mad at her for wearing her hair natural?
3: Black people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was the criticism. And let me just tell you something: the criticism of myself when I was working at Dina Corporation and Owens Corning and I went natural. I had Black people in, uh, in the Toledo community asking me, do you like their hair? Is something wrong with you? Are you yo, okay? Yo, gosh. Okay, no, let me just tell you something. This wasn't in 1980. This is like in 1995. This is 2000. People are talking like this. I have women coming to me who, and they know I was an attorney, coming to me and asking me, you know, hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about going natural, but if something happens on my job, will you help me? I was like on skimpy I yes I will help Jeez. you yeah. for sure so the criticism and the emphasis of this issue of black hair is so deeply entwined y'all remember Chris Rock when he attempted to do something about good yeah. hair remember mm-hmm. that documentary yeah. I don't know what you guys thought about that but I didn't I was not happy with it um <laughs> because I know that, I know he was trying to make satire and I know that he was trying to make light of the situation, but it is so deeply entwined. He talked about women putting hair on layaway to get straight hair in order for them to be, you know, beautiful, right? Mm And so, and I am so not knocking relaxed hair, but again, this stems back to, do you know who you are? Do you love who you are? And do you, um, accept who you are and the hair that you've been given. So all the things and the criticisms that we have seen for centuries has been, you know, centuries, for hundreds of years, has been because of it not being accepted in the mainstream culture. We didn't even see commercials. We didn't even see people Mm -hmm. wearing hair that's natural in magazines and and so forth. So this has this has been something that finally only within the last I would say 8 years mm-hmm. that we have seen more mainstream and only within the last 5 would you see someone like Target, you mm-hmm. know, a, a store having products for black right. hair. So yeah. um so this and, and there 's been the, you know, and thankfully in the Toledo area we 've had people advocates like you know precious Tate she was from youth of, youth for change i don 't know if you remember in the Toledo area that she was pushing for a law um, to be passed so that we wouldn 't have discrimination against people who wore natural hair and hairstyles and head wraps and that was in two thousand and nineteen. And that was kind of off of what's called the Crown Act. Are you guys familiar with the Crown Act? Mm -hmm. Which is creating a respectful and open Mm -hmm. world for natural hair. And that started in California. Well, thankfully, of course, Toledo passed an ordinance and then now nationwide, we have a law that bans the discrimination of black hair. Is this racism? I have always believed that Mm -hmm. it is. People have been discriminated against by not getting jobs. Right? They're in fear of wearing their hair natural just to go on a mm-hmm. job interview. Do you know that we were told in the nineties that if you want to get this job, you better a mm-hmm. straight right here? Do you know that people that were on the news mm-hmm. were criticized for wearing their hair natural? This is so this requires this right here. Yes. requires a podcast Absolutely. definitely <laughs> there's so much to say
0: about it I can keep going y'all I definitely I, want to get um Alicia's yeah. I know you've dealt with this I want to get your thoughts you know
3: it. it definitely is a institutional thing so you know I was just talking about this yesterday just the obsession with black hair period regardless of extensions if someone wants to wear like a head wrap it's like it's this obsession about what we do with our hair um I was in a Facebook group and a person um kind of told their story and they were just some Caucasian and said to them like you know oh in the four months I've known you I haven't seen your hair grow and it's like what does that have to do with my job um and mm-hmm. and when i was in school you know people wore head wraps no you know there was no it was it wasn't a big deal people could wear their hair how they wanted. it you changed your hair too much they were kind of like hey what's going on with that um but then just like working now and looking at because the first thing i always do is go to policy like what are they saying about this and it's like you can't wear a head wrap unless mm-hmm. like it's for religious purposes how how was this distracting to uh, people? Why why is uh, my uh, hair distracting to people unacceptable, unprofessional, or deemed as ghetto? And I'm like, why why this obsession? So it, it definitely is bothersome. I've seen, you know, my son's a gamer and so I'll see all types colors <laughs> uh from people, but then you Etsy mm-hmm. or whatever and you see like colored wigs and it's like that's ghetto, but then you have like a non black person wearing it as trendy and, and hip.
0: Wow. Uh very good point
3: yeah well and i you know i think that that's so
1: important to bring up you know with regard to you know the generations you mentioned older generations will say that's unprofessional or whatever but we're talking about the natural Mm -hmm. way that your hair grows this is how it comes out of my head right and so when we say someone's putting color on their hair you know um I mean, we can put color on our hair, but this Mm -hmm. is how our hair grows out of our head. You know, so this has been something that I feel is so fundamental that if what what, let's think about this way. What if black people Mm. started this country? You know, then what would be uncommon Mm -hmm. is straight hair. Right. So that's the difference that we need to understand. And we do need to question those policies. We do need to go and talk to, you know, HR and have those discussions. I know we're going to talk about this later, but this is so very important for all of us to really own, because again, there's so many people on different sides of the fence with Uh natural hair, not natural hair and braids and so forth. I just really think everyone just needs to, okay, am I doing this? Because I just want to do it. I just like the style. I like it. Or am I not doing Mm -hmm. it because I'm in fear, Mm -hmm. right? I'm in fear of not being able to have a job. If you say I'm in fear of not having a job or I'm in fear of not being accepted or whatnot, then that's some homework, I think, that we all need to do ourselves. We need to question ourselves. So, and then, again, because not gonna be able to do much change on your job if you're not settled mm-hmm. in who you are and what you want. Yeah. You know? And I mean I know we all were excited when Michelle Obama left office <laughs> and she was <went> <laughs> for a little bit. We
0: were all like, <laughs>
1: <Good
0: job!" laughs> but, you know,
1: but we're like, yeah. But she doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see because we want representation. Yeah. We wanna see people who are out there doing it and we'd love to have their hair natural because I've been natural for a long time. I was one of the OGs in this Toledo, (laughs) Ohio community who started wearing my hair natural. So, and you know, I'm not trying to be Mm -hmm. militant. I'm not trying to be defiant. I'm not trying to be radical. I'm just being me. You know, that's how it feels to be free. (laughs) That's how it feels to be free. When you can be letting the ch- go of the chains that are holding me, these are, right. this are song we could we could cue cue the music <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's so very important yeah. for all of us to question that right um and so that's why when Chris Rock did his documentary mm-hmm. on calling it good hair, you know, I wanted to hear from his wife because he said that. Um, you know part of the reason why he did that was because his kids were talking about it but then i believed you know why i went natural cuz i wanted my daughter to see the fact that i am mm-hmm. okay and i love my hair mm-hmm. she needed to see that in her mom yeah that it was okay or i needed if i you know if i wasn't the because I know there are a lot of mixed race folks who mm-hmm. don't have the same hair as their children. They need to see representation yeah. of that and that right. that's love. That's why I was upset a little bit, maybe a little salty with Chris Rock. Like, where's your wife? What is she saying? She needs to be on this documentary. So that's, I digress. And,
2: you know, actually, you know, I I want our audience to know, Diana, that hair is just a topic that we just chose um, to give a, a sample mm-hmm. of what diversity, the mm-hmm. lack of diversity. See, right. When, when there's lack of diversity in our communities and lack of in- inclusion, mm-hmm. we, we tend to have these conversations mm-hmm. about how we truly feel about mm-hmm. certain things secretly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and the greater world, the bigger picture, you know, uh, majority, they often aren't privy to how we truly feel and how they make us feel. Policies have put us in a position where, you know, we are somewhat oppressed when we are forced to uh, look a certain way or act a certain way. But when Mm -hmm. we put this topic of like hair on uh, on display, we can see What the lack of diversity can do to a community and can do to to people, what it can do to our Mm self-esteem. And so that leads into um, our next question about um, what -hmm. does a community or a society or what does policies look like without diversity and inclusion? And how does the lack of diversity and inclusion harm
1: communities? Yeah, so this is so good. And I love the way you weave that in there, because here's the thing. When we lack diversity inclusion in our government, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods and housing, and in the city, we let issues, policies like hair issues, those just sit there and they're not questioned, right? Because we don't know how to deal with it. I want to give you another example of a person who was discriminated against and when you lack diversity and inclusion in your schools and in your sports. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with nor Alexandria, Abukaram, I, I believe I'm pronouncing his, her name the correct way. But she was discriminated against by wearing her hijab when she was running, right? Because they said, you can't have hair wraps. You can't have things on your hair. And that was a Ohio High School Association law. It had been on the books forever. But it wasn't until she was disqualified in running that race because she had that on. And this is an example, another example of when you don't have diversity and inclusion as a forefront, as a manner by way, you're looking at laws and policies, they will continue to be on the books and they will stay there for a very long period of time. And this is called systemic, we have issues of mm. systemic racism, mm-hmm. right? And so this this systemic racism is reason why it's systemic is it because it's just been there for and it's ingrained into the policies and practices and procedures. I'm gonna give you another example. Of course, I was general counsel at the Fair Housing Center. Well, within the housing area, people don't know this, but there were significant amount of laws and, um, uh, deed restrictions and um, financial restrictions that disallowed people to be able to get loans, for example, to get a loan, to, because there was this thing called redlining. And, um, and they redlined certain neighborhoods that were, you know, not good for their insurance companies. And so it wasn't until the Fair Housing Center came along and we started to uproot, right, all of these systemic racial, systemic laws that caused racism within the housing area. But you don't, you know, people, until we have advocates out here, you know, agencies, independent attorneys, or just advocates who are wanting to uproot a lot of the systemic issues, we won't be able to know that there are problems within our neighborhood. That there are problems within the government. So you know, um, when you lack that, we s- discrimination and systemic racism continues. And you know where it continues? Underneath the surface, it's underneath the surface. And like for fair housing, for example, if someone were you know to go to a an apartment and they wanted to get an apartment, and um, like they called in advance. And they said, sure, come on and come and, um, you know, apply for an apartment. They get there and then all of a sudden they say, "Uh, sorry, we don't have anything for you. Why just talk to you, right? Well, that could be an er area of discrimination, right? And so they have the Fair Housing Center to come in and to advocate on their behalf. So what does a community look like without that? Systemic racism. Yes, absolutely.
0: Now, I have heard individuals of certain communities say things like, we don't want diversity, or that diversity and inclusion can bring in negative influence. Um, how do you approach that kind of mindset?
1: I approach it with the, this thought of it, there's, someone's ignorant. They aren't, they're not educated in the area of systemic racism issues, right? And so from that perspective, I need to sit down and ask questions, some open-ended questions. Why do you think that? And for a long time, people just are like dealing with status quo. They're living in their communities and they're not paying attention to what's going on around them and they don't want change, right? And so I, when you hear of that mindset, when you hear organizations saying we've done it this way, this is how it's always been, then that is from the perspective of we don't want change. What's wrong? Why do we have to change? And um, I usually say that's from a standpoint of ignorance. A person doesn't really know. And so whose who's responsibility is the question? Whose responsibility is it to educate them? Whose responsibility? Because I know that sometimes we get tired as advocates, like having to educate everyone. But we do need to bring forth the understanding that we want to have them open up and understand that we can be a better community and and share their stories, people sharing their stories of being discriminated against or not having the certain types of opportunities that someone otherwise would. And, you know, so yeah, again, I I, I believe that stems from a standpoint of, you know, I, you know, I have a certain amount of privilege. I don't have to look outside
0: yeah.
3: of
1: that, right? And so it's individuals like myself and who come to them and to explain to them that that you don't have to think like that, but I do, and here's why. Right. And then share my story. Uh, we do this exercise a lot called I am, but I am not, you know, I am a black mm-hmm. woman, but I'm not an right. angry black woman. And these are stereotypes and biases that people hold. But until I speak that out, until I, till t- t- we have conversations about that, people would not probably even think about that.
0: So yes, that make it makes sense? a lot of sense. Alicia, I definitely mm-hmm. want to get your thoughts on all mm-hmm. of this. It definitely looks like
3: sameness. Um, you know, I was thinking about even hiring practices. It's, it's safety and comfort for those people. And, you know, uh, Tay, we've had conversations about safety and comfort. Comfort mm-hmm. doesn't bring about change. Um, and so when you, you know, hiring practices, mm-hmm. you know, you're hiring the same people because they're comfortable to you. It's going to, you know, sometimes you're going to have the same um mindset and thought process so like how do we impact change within communities if no one's had that experience within the communities we're serving are you really going to get outside in that community are you just going to go into the community for a community meeting and not really get to know the people who are being impacted by your policies by your agency um and, and those things are really important and just seeing representation within that organization, Um, you know, we did research and I like for a couple of um, projects that I did about inclusive workspaces and, you know, having representation Mm -hmm. can, can reduce bias, especially if, you know, if people are familiar with the community that they're serving, um, you know, they can identify, help identify those blind spots that some people may not be able to see. So, you know, if you're working for an agency and there isn't, an aspect of diversity, equity, um, and inclusion, you're just thinking everything's fine. One, well, you may just get grant funding and, and you're, cause you're a great writer. So, you know, you're gonna get this grant funding if you know how to, if you know the language to speak, but are you really impacting change? Or are you just, like Diana said, just kind of going with the status quo and you're getting a job done, but you're not really doing the work. That makes sense. mm mm-hmm. that makes
1: that a lot of sense. A lot of sense,
3: yeah. Seth,
1: do you want to add
2: anything to that? No, it's good. It's good. I now, second everything Diana and Alicia just said.
0: Yeah. Um. So, Diana, what have been your experiences working mm-hmm. with communities and businesses to make them more diverse? I mean, you kind of touched on that already, but we can dive on in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, with schools and
1: organizations, we need to get the te- the temperature check of the organization we need to go in and do some assessments right to understand what do people think what are what are people feeling do they feel like there's a culture of engagement and inclusion at the organization do they feel cared for do they feel the hiring practices are diverse these are kinds of things so when i first go in i need to get an assessment right of the organization now not to say that these assessments are all going to tell you everything because okay. some people are scared to write down what they really feel, and so that's just the first layer. And then after going into that, then we're going to do some more leaning in conversations mm-hmm. and um, courageous conversations, getting into people's stories, um, doing trainings, um, and really starting to gain a sense of the pulse of the organizations. Is it a top down? Is it a bottom up? You know, and really beginning to understand what are the policies and practices that they have? So my experiences have been, some people will come in, I'll come in and they're like, oh, we're so excited that you're here. And I really wanna hear from the CEO and the the people running it. Mm. Are you doing this because of a knee-jerk reaction? Mm. You know, are you being sued <laughs> for this? <laughs> um, or, or Or do you really, really want this, right? Is this just some kind of like, you know, to save face? Are you just talking it? Um, and until I start to kind of get into dialogues with the CEO or the superintendent of a school, um, and then when I start pushing for certain types of changes and policies okay. and practices, then that's mm-hmm. when I start to see, you know, what's really going on, right? So this is when you're talking about changing culture, when you're talking about changing the way that people are you know interacting mm-hmm. with one another can i just first say mm-hmm. this takes time this is not a one and done there are so many people out here and you know mm-hmm. god bless them well they'll do you know two mm-hmm. or three trainings right and that's mm-hmm. it you know so you can go in there yeah you know because you want to get paid and the, the people out here doing these speaking engagements it's great and i think that it does it has worthwhile. but where the real work happens is where you got to go in there and you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to be able to sit down, have dialogue, assess, mm-hmm. see what's really going on. And you know what? Gain trust. Because a lot of people have been hurt. They mm-hmm. might think, I don't want to say anything because mm-hmm. I'm trying to lose my job. Look, I'm just trying to come to my work and come home. I don't want to be messed up with all this stuff. And so, um, but my experience has always been, I need to see mm-hmm. where the people that are hiring me to see where it's where well. they're coming from. Because to be quite honest with you, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste mine. You know, I just, I'm serious. I've had that happen to me so many times. I was going to interject really quick if
2: um, you don't mind, because you said exactly what I was getting ready to say is there has to be an atmosphere of safety. People want to feel safe to tell the truth, or else we'll just keep pl- we'll just keep playing the game with you. And I think Alicia, you and I talked about this last night. You know, we got to mm-hmm. roll up our sleeves and get dirty. Uh, you know, the the real work honestly mm-hmm. is is not glorious. There's nothing cute about it. And Mm -hmm. often it's Mm -hmm. lonely nights and, you know, you are often Mm -hmm. uh, by yourself and alone and people who do support Mm -hmm. you oftentimes Mm -hmm. will only do it in secret. So Mm -hmm. when we go into Mm -hmm. these spaces to try to create more diverse um, settings, uh, you know, uh, we also have to make sure that the work culture or the educational community or whatever community is allowing people to have Mm -hmm. a safe space, to be honest. Yeah. If we no, create that safe right. space for people to be
1: honest, people will come out and say, hey, mm-hmm. this is how I really feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is where we have to have, I, you know, most organizations, I'm working with an organization right now, we have what's called stories and courageous conversations. And we've made it abundantly clear that, you know, we have these little small little pods of conversation so that people feel more comfortable talking to two or three people. Right. As opposed to they're not going to be able to share or want to share in a huge group. Right. But we have to make certain that people feel safe and that they want to be able to share their stories because that's how we're going to make change.
2: With this podcast, we make it our point that anybody who collaborates with us, anyone who comes on this podcast, we are now Mm -hmm. like a lifetime supporter. You know, we offer that space of support so people can continue to tell their honest story Mm -hmm. because we know how hard it is to maneuver in spaces
1: mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. And can I share that there mm-hmm. needs to be more of that? Because, you know, first of all, again, we have to start with the layer mm-hmm. of healing with thyself, right? We, and, and so if we're going into these places, we are um, in, in mm-hmm. doing this work, we're fatigued from the beginning because if we haven't taken time to heal, then we go into these very volatile mm-hmm. spaces, yeah. then that just exacerbate, mm-hmm. exacerbates trauma. So I've always said, it's really hard work. This is tiring work. And I've experienced that myself personally, mm-hmm. where I like, I need a group of people. I need to be able to come into a group of people who are doing this work, who also have, mm-hmm. you know, yes. lived experiences and, um, and they need to be able to talk to one another and have that healing space. We mm-hmm. need to have like, you know, times where mm-hmm. we do retreats with one another, talk it out. Speaking so. of retreats, that's
2: also a part of um, that stage four healing for us. So you are, you, you must be reading my program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I told you you're my people. This we got to talk a I'm little so bit more. To, yeah, I've been mm-hmm. thinking about yes. it a bit. Okay, so being that you're, your experience has been working in the community and businesses to make them diverse, being connected to equity and diversity as well, what other changes do you feel are necessary to help foster community connectiveness, um, healing and reconciliation? Well, like I said, I think there
1: needs to be more like common and natural to have healing circles um, and to have spaces where people can um, come together in these safe spaces and to talk out issues. Um, I think companies need to be able to have that, need to be able to have coaches. They need to be able to have counselors and people to be able to do that. I I also Mm -hmm. believe that can we normalize counseling? can we normalize therapy? Can (laughs) we say that's good within the black community? Because um, being raised in the church, being raised in that culture, it's been pray it out, you know, talk about it with God, which I completely 100% that makes sense. But he also talks about wise counsel. And so we need to be able to have that as a normalized way of living. And that um, when we do that, then we can have those community connectedness. And the church can actually mm-hmm. be that resource instead of shunning it, right? Because churches are the ones who shun those connectedness. And, um, and we need to be able to have that. We need to have libraries that offer mm-hmm. this resource of healing and connection. We need to have more groups that are within um, our our cities to be able to mm-hmm. open up those opportunities mm-hmm. for healing and reconciliation mm-hmm. and conversation, yes, yeah. I think that they need to pass legislation that says that mm-hmm. certain people we need to offer this within the city 's uh, city workers and to be able to have that but with our police. you know all of this needs to happen so that we can do that and in fact, I am actually on a committee for the city of Toledo to, um, create change within the police community relations. And we've actually suggested that there needs to be more Mm -hmm. training and healing that needs to happen within the police force. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Right. So these are just some suggestions that in order for us to create that, we've got, trauma all over the place, right? We've had vicarious trauma through the pandemic, through systemic racism, the police brutality. So our communities create these these uh, communities of connectedness.
3: That's definitely like right on point. <laughs> definitely like having conversations yeah. um, and allowing people to be vulnerable and share. Um, I think it is fear that does keep people from speaking the truth, but then, you know, they're still... Internalizing all of that, and then you have like weathering going on. So then you have like toxic stress, and it's it's you know a, a, your body's impacted, your health is impacted because you can't be honest and and share what your pretty much grievances are. And um, as Diana was speaking, I was thinking about a retreat that I attended virtually. I think it was last summer about grief and community healing and, and what that looks like. Cause I guess, you know, we do have our own internal work to mm-hmm. do, but then as a community, we we need to heal and we need to make space for that. Um, and church definitely, especially mm-hmm. like within black culture, like it's so embedded in our culture, but we don't really talk about it. It's like, Oh God to do this and God to do that. Or like you said, pray it away. Or, you know, if somebody is having, um, a mental health crisis or whatever, then it's automatically the devil and not you keeping this family secret um that's been impacting mm-hmm. their life and like and where do you go to get reprieve from that. And so I think the church they should be responsible for um facilitating that healing process. Yeah. In a better way de- definitely. Um in an offering space and normalizing counseling and therapy from licensed individuals um <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> come on now let's 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 get Life
3: into is it. <laughs> but yeah just definitely making those spaces honest you know educating yeah. people on history uh you know my partner's a police officer and the lack of education and information just about policing in general does not exist like it's not a part of their training they don't have to do it and so it's like if you don't know wow. where how your profession started why why there's a disconnect with your profession in the community and as social workers is the same then you're gonna you know have have these issues mm-hmm. and it's like no social work is a part of the problem too we're policing we police people in the Mm -hmm. same way Um, we write policies that are harmful to people or like diana said about about housing Mm -hmm. policies we're keeping people from having their basic needs met like we're harming people um and just being able to reconcile Mm -hmm. those issues that we have until we educate one another you know and and be open to receiving that information too is really important because people will get offended and triggered real fast uh, and then shut down it's like no we got to kind of move faster. it's true
1: yeah it's true and i want to say that thank you for that alicia because it makes so much sense but then the real work also comes in then mm-hmm. we have to change yeah. policy we have to change you know the way that we are you know the way that people show up to work and when we get those stories and courageous conversations and we get that kind of healing process going but then when we hear people mm-hmm. we hear their cry we have to go oh my gosh mm-hmm. we can change that we we didn't know that that was the case we need to change that policy or we need to change that um the way that which we mm-hmm. engage with people we need to change our marketing we need to change all these kinds of things but it's not until you know, we start to listen and hear. And then, of course, there's certain mm-hmm. standard things that we need to change from an equitable perspective. But until we start to hear from people, or we need to look outside ourselves, because some exactly. people are so homogenous that they don't even know there's a
0: problem. Um, but that's, there's just so much this to that. This has hope that been helps. amazing. Because um, these conversations get really, really <laughs> deep. <laughs> so we always like to make yes. sure that we, we end on a lighter note and energy. So... I want to mm-hmm. ask, starting with you, Diana, um, what uh, was your favorite childhood TV show? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Oh, this is so funny.
3: <laughs>
1: my childhood TV show. Okay. Um, oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, but I can think of Facts of Life. I loved Facts of Life. But then I also loved, I mean, then I loved American <laughs> Bandstand. I loved Soul Train. I loved all this kind I was raised in the 80s. Okay. So I loved all of that. But then of course, you know, Tootie was my favorite character off the Facts of Life. But then I also, I can't think of um, other ones.
3: Wow. I think if it was, so I have like two categories. I can never choose just one. So I think the gummy bears had to be like one of my favorite cartoons only because I wanted the gummy berry juice. Um, As far as just TV shows, probably like Living Single and Martin because I still watch those. Like I stream those. So I love, love, love them um I'm like man like they had so much culture in them and I didn't even realize it at the time because I was so young but I definitely appreciate
0: them more now <laughs> yeah absolutely okay sis what was your favorite childhood tv show
2: um I had a lot like everyone else but I'm gonna choose a cartoon and Animaniacs was one of yeah, my favorite cartoons they brought my back. Back. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. did they yeah yes. Funny. all right now um before i close i want to ask um starting with our special guest oh wait a
2: minute shelly you didn't you didn't say yours oh okay mm, yeah
0: let's see okay this is gonna sound really really corny but i love the power rangers <laughs> i did <laughs> i really 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 did they were um, good yeah they were good i mean i don't know i just for some reason and i was a yellow ranger. <laughs> okay <'cause> <laughs> About to be in gymnastics on no balancing beans and stuff. Um, I just wanted to do tai chi and be done. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the power rank. That's a good one, Mighty Okay. Yes. Um, awesome. So, Diana, what's next for you, and how can our listeners contact you if needed? And and how would you like that?
1: What's next for me is I'm continuing my um, my journey of healing. I'm learning more about myself and um, to aid what I know will be for the Pivot and Rise Mastermind, right? So um, what I mean by that is I'm still continuing some personal journey of healing, right? And, um, and that's why this podcast is so relevant to me right now. Um, so what's, what, that's what I'm doing personally, but what's next for me is I'm going to do my second cohort for the Pivot and Rise Mastermind. People can go to riseadvocates.com. Um, we launched in the, right in the middle of the pandemic and then I pause the class uh, to do my own healing, right? So um, I anticipate uh, that we're going to be relaunching in the fall um, of 2021. And so that's that's what's next for me. I, I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and say this. This is my first time publicly saying this. I've said it behind the scenes, but that I will be, um, <laughs> should I say it? Yes, say it, Diana. Working oh, on another working on another awesome. working on another book um that would talk about this this healing journey. But yes, yeah, that's f- right. Speaking into atmosphere. So yeah, so the, people go to riseadvocates.com. Um you can go to my other website, rise with dot com. People can follow me on Instagram and on Facebook and LinkedIn.
3: All right. So Alicia, um what about you? Um, What's next for you? I'm just living trying to get these pounds Mm -hmm. down oh I'm uh actually I'll be 40 at the end of April so kind of I'm looking forward to it but I don't understand (laughs) how it happens so fast um but I'm excited because I don't look it so you know I'm blessed and (laughs) for Black Radical Scholars um we'll be just hosting uh virtual events throughout the year And then hopefully as soon as um, we're able to get out and about, we'll be able to collaborate with um, different community partners and do things in person. You know, um, I'm here for that Melanation retreat. Uh, Hopefully one day we'll be able to go. Somebody was just talking about a a retreat in Jamaica and Costa Rica. And I'm (laughs) like, yes, yes. Let oh, us on. go. That's a real retreat. <laughs> it's going to happen. We're going to get it done. Yes. Let me tell you about my, my speaking mm, stuff into right. the I like atmosphere. That. I spoke Brazil into the atmosphere one year. Uh, and I actually went for a school. So it'll happen. It was wow. random. You know what? I received <laughs> it was, yeah. that.
2: I received it. I, <laughs> mm. Words are powerful. So I'm, listen, I'm a huge believer in manifestation with they your sure words and, yeah. and, and, the, and the power mm. of imagination
1: and something else. So, yes. <laughs> yes. For sure.
0: So I definitely want to thank um, all of you guys. I want to thank our special guest, Diana, for sharing her amazing energy um, and experiences with us. I also want to thank all of our listeners for their support and feedback. I do want to let everyone know that Melanation will be beginning uh, the next cohort healing circle April 11th. And in order to sign up, we want you to go to our Facebook page, Melanation Healing Project um, and then fill out the, the registration information and we can uh, start our journey together. You guys can also follow the podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Castbox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, uh, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Um, If you have any questions or comments, you can always email us at MelanationHealingProject at gmail.com as well. Stay tuned for next week's episode titled, Mm -hmm. What Does a Healthy Workplace Environment Look Like? Everyone, please have an amazing and peaceful day.